Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Hey, while you're still standing, while you're still standing, I want to welcome you. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, we uh, come to you this morning as a people who want to see your name lifted high. We want to see people saved and brought into relationship with you. God, we want to be your hands and feet to a world that is desperately in need of Jesus. Would you help us to do that? We pray it in the name that's above every name. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Make sure I'm centered. I'm not usually up this high, so I got to figure this out. Hey, I want to welcome you again. Thank you for being here. Uh, If you were with us the last several weeks, you know we've been on what we're calling a journey of grace. Uh, That journey is continuing, but that title for a series is changing next week. Um, And I want to just say to you, if you did not yet get a chance to participate in our celebration uh, offering last Sunday or in that journey of grace and you would like to, uh, I want to invite you to do one of two things. One, we've got some envelopes that are still in the lobby. They look like this. Um, and you could fill out that envelope and uh, there's some uh, directions, I guess, would be the right way to say that. We've also got a QR code on the screen behind me. If digital giving is an easier way for you to do that, we encourage you to. Uh, we're not saying, hey, we need more than we've got. We're just saying, as they're calculating what those numbers look like from across the campuses, uh, we want to keep that door open long enough for everyone to take a step in their generosity journey. And so with that, we're not giving you a report this week. I don't know a report. In fact, no one knows uh, what was given last Sunday and over the the culmination of this month. What we're going to do is on October the 29th, we're going to give the report of what that was that was received, okay? So if you don't hear anything for a few weeks, that is the reason. In the meantime, I do get the privilege to tell you that an important step was taken in regard to our property on Schofield Road this week. We finally got the long-awaited trailer on property. So it's there. It looks like this. And uh, that's super exciting. This and a thousand other things are just the culmination of your generous giving that make things possible, like having a property that will be our future home. Now, if you didn't see this as you drove in on the 429, the reason is uh, they've got it on property, but it's not yet turned the right way. And so that step is coming this week, uh, also the, the semi, I took that, or we, I got that picture earlier in the week, that the front part of that is not there, obviously it'll just be the trailer, uh, but that both lets the community know that we're coming, uh, it also gives our service times and where to find us in the meantime, so that creates more visibility, uh, which is exciting for us. So Journey of Grace as a series ended last week, next week we're jumping into the letter of 1 Corinthians and continuing what we've been learning there, which means this week I get to talk about whatever I want. So let me talk about Hamilton. How many of you, how many of you are fans of the Broadway musical Hamilton? All right, you're like allowed to admit that because I am. Um, In January of 2020, it was my birthday and my wife and I had been dreaming of going to see Hamilton in New York City. Uh, We actually had plans of doing that in April of that year. We all had plans of doing something in April of that year and beyond, and uh, after a conversation with a friend who said, hey, if you can go now, just go now. Nikki bought tickets, 
to Hamilton, bought tickets to New York City, uh, uh, round trip tickets, and surprised me for my birthday in January. So we went and saw Hamilton. We would not have seen it because Broadway closed down for about two years in March of that year, but we got to see it in person. And if you've seen Hamilton or you know the music of it, you know that the kind of common relief, uh, uh, comic relief rather, that runs throughout is King George's songs, What Comes Next? the anthem that he again and again what comes next okay you're a country now America what comes next so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk a little bit about what comes next for Horizon West Church we've had this surge of generosity and even though I don't know the number I can already be confident in the outcome because every time we've given you the chance you've responded with generosity so I already know that's going to be a celebration. But what else is important? Certainly it is not just God's mind for us to, to give of our resources, to, to show up on Sundays, to check the boxes, but what is God doing in a place called Horizon West Church? As we look at that, I'm going to be in Luke chapter 15 today. If you've got a Bible or Bible app, I encourage you to open it to Luke 15. And as you do that, I want to give you some context for the world in which Jesus stepped in. When Jesus came into the world in the first century and, and was born into a stable in Bethlehem, I want you to know that he was born into a deeply divided world. Not only was, was the world deeply divided, but the nation of Israel was deeply divided then. We in 21st century America know something of deep divisions that can come across national and international lines. In the nation of Israel in particular, you had three groups. There may have been more. These were the three most prominent. One was the religious elite. These were called Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes. These were the men who believed that all that mattered was the law of Moses and people abiding by that law. You also had a group that were called the Zealots. These represented those who were resistant to the Roman occupation of the time. And their resistance often manifested in violent acts. In fact, it's believed at least one of the criminals crucified with Jesus was a zealot. And then you had a group of people that were just kind of loosely uh, banded together. Uh, they were referred to as tax collectors and sinners. These were people who were religiously indifferent and they really weren't interested in anything of the law or morality, didn't even care about Roman occupation. In fact, the tax collectors in particular were aiding and abetting Roman occupation by extracting resources from their own people to give to the Romans. This is the reason that the tax collectors had a category all their own. They were the worst of the worst. Now those first two groups, the Pharisees and the Zealots, they had a pretty clear idea on what the Messiah would look like when he came into the world. So the Jewish people from the prophets of hundreds of years earlier had been anticipating someone called the Messiah or the Christ would show up and he would make everything right, but they differed on what making things right would look like. To the Pharisees, it meant the Messiah would come and he would restore the prominence of the Hebrew law and he would ensure that nobody was falling short of it. To the zealots, the Messiah would come and he would kick out the Romans and restore national prominence to the people of Israel. And much to the surprise of both groups, Jesus showed almost no interest in either of their causes. 
In our world today, we've got people going, hey, you know what would make our nation great again? You know what would make the world right again? And oftentimes in our vocabulary, we actually miss the heart of God. Because much to the surprise of those two groups, the people that got the, the primary part, the best part of Jesus' attention, his devotion, his teaching, his ministry, were those very tax collectors and sinners that they hated. And Jesus demonstrated through them that the Messiah had a very different purpose for entering the world. And so in Luke chapter 15, what Jesus does is he tells three stories that clarify exactly why Jesus showed up in the world, why the Messiah came. Now, we're only going to look at the first two of those, and the reason is simply we don't have time to look at all three. The third of the stories is one that's often called the story of the prodigal son. It's a little more familiar maybe than the other two, and so we're just going to look at these first two, and I'm going to take you to Luke 15 and read verses 1 through 10. Here it is. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And so he told them a parable or a story. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, doesn't leave the ninety-nine in the open country, go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, and he says to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who needs no repentance." Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, doesn't light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she's found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors and she says to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. What I want to do in the next 20 minutes or so is I want to extract the two big principles that I think Jesus is driving at related to the heart of God. And then I want to close the message by giving us some practical ways that we can apply the heart of God in our own spheres of influence. The clarifying lens that Jesus is going to place on his ministry and why he came into the world is this. Jesus ends up not coming to affirm the moralists and condemn those who are immoral. He doesn't come even to to restore the law or to restore Israeli prominence in the world. Jesus says in Luke 15 very clearly that his one purpose for coming to the world is to redeem those who are far from God, to see those who are lost, to use the language of the Bible, to see those who are lost, found, and brought into relationship with God as he desires them to be. Now, this is not just a principle that we find in Luke chapter 15. This bleeds all the way through Jesus' ministry. He says it and he shows it again and again and again. Let me give you just two other examples. Mark chapter 10. As Jesus reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners, again, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And again, Luke chapter 19, verse 10, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This singular focus was the driving passion of Jesus' life and ministry. 
not to, to give an attaboy and a pat on the back to the people who were doing it well, but to reach those who were doing it wrong, those who were doing it poorly, those that not only were outside of the, the reach of God, but those who were outside of the, the purview of the other Israelite people, the other people of the time, those who were condemned and put outside the temple and derided. And Jesus said, they are the very reason that I showed up in the world. Many of us have had the experience of having something that we uh, possess taken from us, either taken from us or maybe we have lost it. I've shared with you before about my prized guitar, an Epiphone, a black acoustic, nothing super great about it other than this, it was my guitar when I was in high school. And unfortunately, one of my friends who had gotten caught up in drugs one time as he was hanging out at the house, swiped it from me, sold it to a pawn shop and got cash for drugs. His parents, when they learned what happened, went to the pawn shop and much to everyone's surprise, it was there and they bought it and returned to me. And like Peaches and Herb said years ago, reunited and it feels so good. Socrates does that better, but I was just going to try it today. Feels so good to be reunited. More recently, I lost a computer at the post office. How that happened is a whole nother story, but I was uh, there and I lost it and I went back for it, it was gone. I ended up filing a police report. It was a whole ordeal, only to have the post office call me before the end of the day and say, hey, we have this computer that you lost. And once again, I was reunited and it felt so good, right? Because there is a restlessness in the heart of someone who has something that belongs to them that is no longer with them. And maybe one of the most shocking things about the heart of God is this, that that restless feeling, that unsettled feeling when something that belongs to us is separated from us and the relentless pursuit to find it, that always exists in the heart of God. Can I, can I just pause for a moment and let that sink in? God who is holy, who has no need of anything, who is self-sustaining, who breathed the world into existence, is driven by the unsettled passion in his heart to reconcile what has been lost from him. Let me ask us this question this morning. How would your life change if you loved lost people the way that God loves lost people? And let me ask a follow-up. What would have to change in your life for that to be even remotely true? that the heart that God has for those who are far from him becomes your heart and mine. As a mission of First Orlando, as one of the campuses of First Orlando, all of us share a unifying mission, and it is this. We exist to follow Jesus and lead others to do the same. And so what we're going to do today in the balance of our time is talk about what does it take to lead others to the heart of Jesus. So two principles, and then I'll close with three practical applications. First principle is this, all people are God's possession. That's what Luke 15 shows us, all people are God's possession. The sheep belong to the shepherd. The coin belonged to the woman. The son who wandered away belonged to the father. Everything belonged to someone. And it is true to say this morning that every person created belongs to God. He is the rightful possessor of every human soul. Abraham Kuyper in the 19th century said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is so sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. 
See, as I think about this, this changes the way I think about the guys that I work out with at the gym, the, the guys on my softball team, my neighbors next door and across the street and down the street, it, that, that actually, whether they know it or not, their life, their soul, their personhood is the rightful possession of God who created them. More than that, that it's the rightful, rightful possession of Jesus who died for them. Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says it this way, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, Jesus... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Paul says when it comes to the relationship of Jesus to the created order, it was made by him, it was made through him, it was made for him, it exists in him, it all belongs to Jesus. Not only did each of the things in Luke chapter 15 belong to someone, but they were all highly valued by the one to whom they belong. That's why the woman would spend her whole day cleaning her house to just find that one coin. Why? Because the coin had value. It's the reason the, the shepherd would, would leave the 99 and go into the open country. Why? Because the sheep has value. The son has value. And in the same way, those who are far from God may be surprising to some of us, have great value to the heart of God. The reality is that Jesus didn't just tolerate lost people, he genuinely loved them, and maybe more surprising is they liked being around him. That's why, that's why the writer says all were drawing near to Jesus. It's why another writer says that many tax collectors and sinners were following after him. And one of the things we have to be really careful of, church, is that we're not caught up in kind of the cultural moment of the us versus them. The cultural moment of this uh, particular person or this particular lifestyle is, is so foreign to us. It's so disgusting. It's so wrong that we just have to put distance. Listen, Jesus didn't put distance between himself and lost people. He came to seek and to save the lost and if Jesus demonstrated that, then certainly the church is called to do the same. We're called to follow Jesus into the mess of the lives of lost people. And please don't buy into the lie that you have to sacrifice truth to show love. Or that you have to not love in order to show truth. Both can be true because Jesus came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth. Richard Foster says, today the heart of God is an open wound of love. So I wonder, what, what are lost people seeing when they look at the church? And, and yes, our church, but I'm talking more broadly. What are lost people seeing when they look at the church? Oh man, don't get around those people. You want to be judged? You want to be condemned? You want to be ostracized? You want to be criticized? Or are lost people seeing in the body of Christ, the church, the same heart that existed in Jesus himself who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. So number one, all people are God's possession. Number two, and this is where I think maybe the greater breakthrough will come, 
I, I think every one of us would say, yeah, we understand that all people are God's possession. The second principle is this, that lost people are God's priority. You ever thought about that? Lost people are God's priority. Verse 4, Jesus says this, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, doesn't leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? We don't, we don't live in an agrarian society. I don't know about you. I haven't been around sheep a lot lately. But I can tell you confidently that when, when Jesus says he leaves the sheep in the open country, open country represents danger. It represents possibly even death. Meaning that Jesus is saying that God is willing to, to, to risk some discomfort, maybe even some sacrifice on the part of those who belong to Jesus already in order to go after the one who has not. And this isn't because Jesus loves the lost one more, but it's because the urgency is greater. If the shepherd doesn't get to that sheep that has been separated from the flock, then the wolves, the bears, the rivers, the cliffs, the thunderstorms, all of these dangers are there for the one. And so the shepherd focuses in all of his attention to say, I've got to get that one back with the 99. Now, any of us who are parents, we can understand something of this principle. Because some of you have a child that maybe takes a little more work or energy or attention. Some of you have older children who, who are far from God. They're making choices that, that break your heart. Like the son in Luke 15, you've got a prodigal that you're praying for. And you understand that when someone is physically or spiritually separated from the family, they need your attention and your prayers all the more, not less. In the last days of my own mom's life when I was 18, of my seven siblings, there was one that had most of her heart and her attention that had most of her prayers. In fact, my mom would talk about this sibling who was not only physically not home, but was spiritually far from God at the time. And she would talk about more and emote more about that situation than about the cancer that was taking her life. It was almost all consuming. I remember at 18 years old, there was even maybe some resentment about that. Why, why are you so consumed, so obsessed with this one? And now, now I get it. Because when you have the heart of a parent, your focus is on the one. When you have the heart of a shepherd, your focus is on reaching the one who is lost. And look at what happens in every situation in Luke chapter 15. Not only is something lost, not only is something then found, but immediately following there is a great celebration, or we might even say there is a party that happens. And notice something really interesting. Verse 10, I always heard this as the angels celebrate when someone is saved. Have you, anybody ever heard that said? Grew up on that? But listen, if you look at verse 10, it's not the angels who are celebrating. Let me read it again. He says, just so I tell you there is joy where? Before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You know who's celebrating? Jesus is celebrating. That, that's who is before the angels. Every single time that a lost person puts their confidence in Jesus for their salvation, and we've seen it time and time again here at Horizon West Church, we, we've seen people step into the waters of baptism and say, Jesus is Lord, and they're confessing with their mouth what they've already trusted with their heart. There is a celebration in heaven, Jesus himself throwing a party. That's how much of a priority the reconciliation of lost people is to God. 
For the last five years at Horizon West Church, we've been seeking to establish a community of people that embodies the heart of God to our world. And so I want to kind of turn the page towards some of the real practical ways we're going to seek to continue doing that in the years to come. And I want to give you just three. Two of these are somewhat related to kind of your involvement here at the church and how we can partner together. And the third is one that we're just going to have to keep praying and begging God to to move in your heart to happen. So here's the first. Practically, how we're going to demonstrate the heart of God to our world. Number one, we are going to be a church that is for the nations. If you were to sit down and read the Bible, Genesis through Revelation, one of the themes that would emerge and one of the greatest themes that would emerge is how much God desires to see the nations in worship. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10 says this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. What has to happen for that revelation, that future vision to occur We've got to be uh, faithful to what Jesus called us to in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 when he said, go into every nation and make disciples of all people, baptizing them, teaching them, and surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. So we get to this great picture in Revelation because believers, followers of Jesus are faithful to the great commandment of Matthew chapter 28. So here's some ways that's happening here at the church, ways that we're reaching the nations. Recently, and I shared this I think two weeks ago, recently we had a young couple, a couple that served in our student ministry and in our kids ministry, and they've now been commissioned through the International Mission Board to serve in Central Asia full-time. They've got young children, they're going to the nations, why? Because the heart of God gripped their heart, and they said, we're not content to stay in a place where, where we can just keep preaching to the choir, we're going to go to people who have never heard the good news of Jesus, and they're going with the blessing of this church and as our representatives. We've got to work in Nigeria, as so many of you know, through William and Shiloh Karshima. In fact, we've got some folks who are boots down on the ground right now. They're coming back today. And we're looking for future opportunities, not only how we can go there as teams, but how we can further partner with the leader team and the marketplace ministry that they're doing there where they're seeing lives change through the gospel. And so we've got footprints in Central Asia. We've got footprints in Nigeria. And this past summer, I had the chance to go and establish relationship with two ministries in Belize. One is Evangel Temple, a local church, and one is called Hearts of Christ Ministry. And there are men and women there that are leading the charge to make sure that children not only get schooling, which is you have to pay for it in Belize, not only schooling and uniforms, but are getting the gospel into children and families and homes. And our desire is to take a team back in February. I've got a slide here that's going to show you. We're having an interest meeting on November 5th to talk about what those dates are and how you can partner. I'm asking the Lord to give us at least 10 or 12 people to go with me, that we go back into Belize. There's need for homes to be built. There's need for people who don't have their meals for the day to be fed. There's need for some coaching around marriage ministry and other things. We're going to do it all. But we're asking, would you be interested in coming with us? And if you have any interest at all, would you come on Sunday, November the 5th? We're going to meet between the two services and hear how you can begin to partner in a small way to reach the nations. Second practical way is this. We're going to be a church that is for the generations. So not just the nations that are out there, but the generations that are in here. They also have the heart of God. 
Let me share some pretty cool things with you. Every week we have more than 50 students in our Sunday morning and Wednesday night ministry activities who are growing in their faith. And God is doing a work there. If you've not visited our student ministry or if you've got a student who's not yet attended, they're, they're starting a worship team. I might have spoken too soon. They're, they're trying to learn instruments to start a worship team. Maybe some of them, I shouldn't have gone there. But they're, pray for them. Pray for them. They, they, wanna, they want to not just be led in worship. They want to become worship leaders, and they're doing that. We've got student leaders who are rising up. I got a text from a student two weeks ago saying, hey, pray for me. I'm sharing the gospel with my friend at school tomorrow. This is what God is doing in our students. Edwin and Heather leading that charge and the volunteers we have there. But not just in our students, it's also with our children. We have every Sunday, we're averaging 148 preschool through fifth grade children. The, the rooms back there are just about overflowing. And can I be really, really honest with you? We need help. God is sending us children, preschoolers and elementary school students, and sending us their families and, and we're getting the job done right now, but we need more workers to come alongside us or we're not going to be able to take those kids into our future. We need the support of the local church. In fact, I would give you two ways to do that. Number one, maybe you would say, hey, I'll volunteer. I'll give a week, a month, or every other week or whatever it is to serve in our kids' ministry. Man, you want to be the hands and feet of Jesus? What a cool place to start. And even beyond that, I would say this. We have been doing all of this in our kids' ministry, 148 average attendance preschool through fifth grade, over 200 kids coming to VBS, which Nikki and her team have led now for three years. We do all of that without any paid kids' ministry workers on the team for almost four years. I go, I don't know how that happens. I just know that God is moving, and we've got to find a way to be up to the task. And so it may be that you know someone in your spheres of influence, you go, hey, you need to talk to this guy. You need to talk to this girl. They're a, they're a great kids ministry director or, or they'd be a great kids ministry director. We've got an opportunity. We've interviewed. We've not yet identified that person. And so would you pray about two things? One, maybe God's calling you to serve in our kids ministry. We're gonna throw a slide up or maybe we've already had it up where you could just scan a QR code, go to our website. Maybe that's you. Or maybe it is that you know somebody that you can just send our way. Say, hey, have a conversation with this person as we look to continue the work God has done there. And, and I want to say one other thing about our kids' ministry. Our volunteers are, are remarkable. But you know where we're really starting to see God do a work, and we're not yet sure what he's doing or how to keep up with it? But we're seeing children with special needs show up, and we're seeing their families be blessed and served by this church. And y'all, we feel about 10 feet over our head in how to minister to those families. And so maybe you know someone, or maybe it's you, would you come and, and listen, you don't have to have a background or education or training. You have to have a background check, but you don't have to have a background in kids' ministry to be a buddy to a child with special needs. That could simply look like showing up and just being with that little boy or that little girl throughout the day. And Jesus, the heart of God is just bursting at the seams for those children to be reached. And so would you pray about those opportunities as well? So we're going to be for the nations. We're going to be for the generations. Here's the other thing we're going to be for, and I'm going to write a check that I myself can't cash. I need your help to do it. We're going to be a church that is for the one. So what do you mean the one? Remember in Luke 15, it says that the shepherd leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. Meaning that the heart of Jesus is consumed with the people in your life who don't yet know him people you work out with, 
people you're in neighborhoods with, people whose kids play on your kids' teams, like these people who are not yet saved, not yet walking with Jesus. That's where the heart of God bleeds. And so would you be for the one? Would we be a church that is for the one? The reality this morning is that there are churches all over the world, and especially in the major cities of America, that are massive, massive buildings with a handful of people sitting in the pews. Do you know why that happens? It happens because the 99 start to believe that it was about them all along. Yeah, we got to get that new stained glass up in the in the building. We got we, we to get the seats padded. We got we to get the air conditioning just right. We got to get everything the way I want it. And the heart of the shepherd is saying, it's not about you. It's about the way that you become a channel of God's grace to other people. Look, I'm excited every Sunday when we gather and we encourage each other and we cheer each other on. We need that. I'm excited about a building that is on our horizon, pun intended. That's coming. That's going to enable even greater ministry. But we could meet every Sunday and we could build beautiful buildings. And if we don't follow the heart of Jesus for who his attention is on, we become a really cool looking museum about what once used to be. And so we're going to be a church that's for the one. I recently found a real practical aid in kind of helping me to be intentional in the way that I reach lost people. And by the way, that term lost, I hope you know that's a Bible term. It comes out of Luke 15. Not trying to put people in categories or, or whatever, but that, that, that refers to people who are not yet where they belong, which is in the heart of God. And so I came across something. It's an app called the Prayer Notebook. And maybe you're like a pen and paper person. You've got a list of people you're praying for. You keep doing that. Some of you, you're looking for a way to have a more intentional plan. This Prayer Notebook, we've got a picture of it up. I just got a whole list of people, neighbors, softball teammates, uh, guys at the gym, whoever it is, and I'm praying every day. Different days for different groups, I'm praying every day that these men and women would come to know Jesus as their Savior. Because here's the, here's the truth of it. Our best efforts, our greatest programs, our biggest buildings are insufficient to move the heart of someone who is lost to God. You know who's up for the challenge? God is. The Holy Spirit of God is drawing men and women to himself and he simply asks us to be faithful and to obedient, to be his mouthpiece and to be his hands and feet to them. The great missionary Amy Carmichael, and I will close with this. She said this, we have all eternity to celebrate our victories, but only a few short hours to win them. I can think of no greater honor than to get to the end of my life and know that I was faithful, my family was faithful, and that this church was faithful to demonstrate the heart of the shepherd Jesus to those who need him most. Would you join us in that? And would you pray with me to that end? Father, I come to you with a lot of words out of my mouth, a lot of words rattling in my mind. But God, one simple message, then I pray that that message emerged today. I pray that it continues to emerge in our hearts and to reveal itself in our lives. The simple message that you came on a rescue mission. You came for those who needed you most. And so God, to every man, woman, child, and student listening, to those streaming online, God, and, and to each one of us, God, would you help us as a church to be exactly what you've called us to be, salt and light, baptizing and teaching, living not for our own glory, but for the glory of God who came to save 
lost people. Would you help us to do it in the name and in the power of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service times, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.